Well, good morning. Welcome to second service here at MRCC. November is over, so that means the mustaches are mostly gone. And Sister Mariah has occupied the top spot on my Spotify playlist. If you know, you know. Um, but I just want to welcome you here to, to MRCC. My name is Tyler. I'm the youth pastor here. And it's December, so every single weekend night is now filled up with Christmas things. Am I the only one? Apparently, I'm the only one. Okay, well, guess what? I have things that you can fill your time with. Uh, starting off tomorrow is going to be uh, Sisters of Strength uh, for all the ladies here at MRCC. It is at 6.30 p.m. here in the sanctuary. It's just a great time of fellowship to uh, hang out with all of the other ladies here at MRCC. Tomorrow specifically is a small little Christmas party. It's going to be a uh, $5 gift exchange and also wear your Christmas pajamas if you want to. Um, and it's just going to be a great time. We're going to have dinner. Well, I say we. Um, they are going to have dinner. And uh, it's just going to be a good time of fellowship. Coming up next Sunday is our kids' Christmas program. And if you haven't been a part of that or seen that, um, I want to encourage you to come to that. Not because of the quality of the uh, program, but because um, it is one of the most joyous things ever to watch these kids um, sing the songs, or at least try to. Um, I'm not going to lie. There's a student who is in high school now. When he was in elementary school, I paid him $10 to dab. Um, he had to go like this. Like, I, I think I told him, I was like, you have to do it like 10 times or something like that. The best $10 I ever spent, because he was standing on the, on the top row so everyone could see him. And then his dad was like, what is he doing? And I was like, I don't know. I didn't know. Sorry, um, but we're still gonna we're still gonna have corporate worship. But to, next Sunday is just a great time uh, to watch these kids and all of the hard work that they've put into it. Also coming up on the seventeenth is our ugly Christmas sweater Sunday. Yeah, uh, we're gonna have prizes for best dressed. Wear your ugly sweaters. It's gonna happen all three services. Um, I believe my wife is the reigning champion of of the ugly sweater Sunday. Um, and she wears like full-on onesies, and so there's a there's a high standard of what is considered an ugly sweater. Um, if you put a mirror on it and you just walk around and show people, you'll win if you show Pastor Greg. Uh, but on that note, uh, if you want to open your Bible this morning to Luke chapter 22, that's where we're going to be. Good morning, thank you, Pastor Tyler. We'll talk in staff meeting in the morning. But, uh, <laughs> that's awesome stuff. Good morning, church. Good to see you, and welcome. Welcome to Second Service here at MRCC. Welcome to everybody who's joining us online as well. And now's the time to let yourself start feeling Christmas, amen, because here it comes. And I always remember at Christmas that, you know, when I was a, a new believer as a young married man, I, I had no idea what Christmas was really about, that God became one of us. And when I discovered that, that first year as a believer, I, I've never gotten over it. What an amazing thing. God wanted us to know him so much that he became one of us, became a baby in a manger, and then grew up among us. I, I just can't get over it. So awesome stuff. 
I also, before we open God's word this morning, I want to give thanks to everybody. So many of you have, yeah, I mentioned in the, the church's newsletter that I'm going to be going in for surgery in a couple of weeks from the motorcycle accident. A whole bunch of folks have said, Pastor Greg, we'll be praying for you. And I really appreciate that. I also want to say a kind of a thank you to about 15 people who have come up to me in the last week and said, oh, Pastor Greg, I heard you're having that surgery. It's awful. It's so painful. It hurts so much. I went through it, and it's really bad. And Oh, I don't want to get you upset, but it's really hard. And I was in mega pain. You know, just thank you for that blessing. And, um, <laughs> you know, I'm tempted to say, you know, maybe that's back in the day, and now it's better. That's what I'm going with uh, anyway, but uh, thanks for that. And I had uh, a couple of moments this week that were kind of in the same vein because I'm getting older and the nurse called up for my pre-op appointment on Friday. You know how this is. They call you up and they say, you know, blah, 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 expect this, that, and the other thing. And then towards the end, she says, and Mr. Dalton, I want you to know that, you know, sometimes older people have a hard time with the anesthesia. So you want to be prepared for that. Why are you telling me that? What I see by your date of birth and we had a laugh together. So if I go crazy after the surgery, well, I'll be enjoying myself. So, uh, and then just to add that, today is a milestone as well for me uh, as I get older, because today, church, for the first time in my life, I had to change the font on my sermon so I can read it. It's a 16 pitch this morning instead of a 12, so uh, life goes on. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're coming to the end of our road trip through Luke's Gospel. And, and we're in chapter 22. And remember we said when we get to the Passion, we were going to kind of speed up because we're moving into this last part of the journey. And so this week and then two weeks from today, we'll be, we'll be wrapping up this road trip together. And this morning, we find ourselves in a very powerful, poignant part of the story. Luke chapter 22, beginning with verse 39. But, but first, let me say this. I'm sure you've noticed that very often things don't turn out the way we planned in life. Can you say amen to that? I mean, we have certain expectations, we make plans, we, we aim for the best, and it doesn't always turn out that way. And I was thinking about that this week, and I came across a website with a list of engineering fails. People set out to accomplish something, and it didn't quite work. So, for example, the guy who built this kiosk here, you know, wasn't thinking things through. Um, obviously, that was not the way that was supposed to turn about. How about the, the guys who built this grate uh, to drain the street uh, isn't quite working that well. This next one I just say no comment on because I don't, I don't know what happened there. There's just no explanation that works. How about this one? It's a hoodie, so you want to think through what it's going to say when the hood's down, right, on the back. So, you know. How about this one? Wallpaper choices matter. You need to think. You really need to think about the wallpaper in the various rooms. Just a couple more. How about this one? Yeah, yeah somebody. I'll bet the kids love it, but, uh, you know, that's a little different. And then, of course, you want to be sure and check, check the Yelp reviews before you hire somebody to do any advertising for you. Maybe that will come to you after a moment when you kiss. But... You know, sometimes things don't turn out the way we planned or hoped. And, and here's why I bring that up. 
You know, most of us just assume that the secret to success in life is learning how to dodge the difficult stuff, how to, you know, avoid the pain or loss or grief, how to escape hard times and uncomfortable moments, how to avoid sacrifice. But, but Jesus knew better. Here's what he understood and what he wants to teach us. He understood that what we do when things don't go the way we is actually way more significant than what we do to make sure they do. How we react when things don't go the way we want. Here at the end of Luke's gospel, in this passage that's before us this morning, our Savior gets down to the nitty-gritty. Now he's in the shadow of that cross that he talked about. Remember a few weeks ago, we heard him say again to the disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested, ridiculed, crucified. Now he's in the very shadow of that cross. He's just about to be arrested. It's a matter of hours now, not days, not years, but hours. And this, this, friends, is what he came for. Let me elaborate on that a moment. We've seen him do over this last year. Wow, we've spent a whole year together in Luke's gospel. And we've seen him do a lot of amazing things. He's healed the sick. He's raised the dead. He's fed huge crowds from just a little bit of food. He's freed people possessed by demons, if you can imagine. He's told stories that reveal to us the very heart of God, our maker, our creator, his heart has been made known to us. He's told stories that, that enable us to see ourselves at our worst and at our best. And he's, he's taught us again and again the difference between false religion, which is deadly dangerous, and real faith, which is always other-centered. Nothing is so wonderful and dangerous as religious faith. It can inspire one man to love his enemy and another man to hate his neighbor. And Jesus has pointed out the difference between those two things over and over. Most of all, most of all, he has taught us that, this is mind-blowing, but that God loves us, each one of us, individually, personally. And that's a wonderful thing, and that's a demanding thing. But now, He's come to the ultimate moment for which he came, which is the cross. Now it's time for him to do the most important thing he came to do. We, we misunderstand if we think that our Lord Jesus is primarily a teacher or primarily a healer or primarily a king. Before all those things, he came to be for us a savior through his sacrifice on the cross. Here's how he put it himself back in Matthew chapter 20. He said, the son of man did not come to be served, catch this, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, the most important thing. And that's that Jesus died for our sins. He came, know this, let yourself feel this, church. He came before anything and everything else to be our Savior. And that means going to the cross. A lot of people balk at the violence of the cross. 
But what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 is that the, the cross is a word picture God gave us to understand the ugliness of sin. The reason we balk at the cross is because we don't take seriously the ugliness of sin. God said that he uses the cross to demonstrate to us that, hey, I know you think people have gotten away with stuff, but they won't in the end. And to reveal to us that he desires to shield us from the ugliness of sin. Well, now Jesus is facing that cross. And here's the thing, church. Here's what we're going to find out. Here's the shocking truth we're going to discover this morning. As he comes to this moment, Jesus finds a major obstacle in his way, and that's himself. He doesn't feel like it. His emotions are rising up. He's overcome with the prospect of what lies before him. And as a consequence, he's going to say something that we might never expect him to say, which is, God, is there any way I cannot do this? But let's watch and listen to him together here in Luke chapter 22, beginning with verse 39. Here's what the Bible says. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. Let me pause there for a moment. The Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew tells us. Notice the phrase, as usual. Sometimes we think that this, this moment was a one-off, that Jesus, now he's facing the cross, so he goes out to pray really hard for the first time because he's in a crisis. But what the Scripture tells us is this is his regular place to go. This was his habit. Jesus went out, as usual, to the Mount of Olives to pray. And his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Fellas, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Pray that you won't be overcome by the kinds of feelings that are stressing me right now. And then he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, and he knelt down and he prayed. And listen to what he says, church. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Father, if there's some way that I cannot do the cross, can we just make that happen right now? Is there some way I, I cannot go through with this? Church, sometimes we condemn ourselves for the things we feel, but this moment of anguish doesn't make Jesus a coward. It makes him human. And when your emotions threaten to overwhelm you, when the temptation to be governed by them is overwhelming, that doesn't mean that something's wrong with you. That means you're in a battle. That means you're facing a choice. That means that God is pointing out to you the difference between right and wrong and inviting you to embrace one instead of the other. You know, maybe the greatest lie of our time, propagated in all our cultures around the world evermore as the days go by, is the lie that we are what we feel. The idea extant today is that, hey, if you find inside of yourself a certain set of feelings, then that defines who you are. And God says that's not true. Jesus feels like not going to the cross, and he's honest about it. He pours out that reality to the Father, but that's not the whole of his prayer. Look at what the Scripture says. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet... Not my will, but yours be done. Scripture says it wasn't an easy 
moment of prayer. It wasn't an easy time of prayer. Look at verse 44. Being in anguish, he prayed earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Doctors tell us that's a medical reality called hematidrosis. People can be under such stress, under such anxiety, that literally blood will come out of their pores. Jesus is the only person who experienced it. It's a medical fact. But it gives us an idea of how he is battling against this desire to hop the stone wall of the garden and run off into the wilderness and have a life that doesn't involve the cross. And yet he says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And the Bible says that in that prayer, he, uh, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. In other words, something supernatural happens when we pray, something that can only happen when we pray. Uh, let's just take a couple of minutes to reflect on that. As, as we've seen, Jesus told the disciples that he was going to Jerusalem where he would be betrayed and crucified. And to kind of feel the intensity of that, we, you know, a lot of us, we, we wear crosses as jewelry. We see crosses at the front of the church, and they sort of lost their stigma. But to kind of get in touch with what the cross meant then and there, understand that it was a, an instrument used to execute criminals, Right? Kind of like we use lethal injection or the electric chair. So if you want to feel what the cross felt like as it loomed over Jesus, think of a man going to the electric chair or going to lethal injection, being executed as a criminal. Jesus is feeling the imminence of that. And it's, it's intense. The word anguish in your English Bible is the Greek word agonia, from which we get the English word agony. It means a deep and profound hurtful struggle. Jesus is feeling a desire not to do it. But what we feel, church, isn't who we are. Jesus' feelings in that moment, they don't make him a coward. He only becomes a coward if he believes his feelings more than he believes God's word, more than he believes what God's calling is in his life. Many condemn and judge themselves for what they feel. I have to be honest with you. My alarm goes off at 5 o'clock on Sunday morning, and I think to myself, you know, it would be really good to stay in bed this morning, kind of do the online church thing. Oh, wait a minute, I can't do that. I'm the guy, so i got to go do that. But there's this part of me that says, wouldn't that be cool? But I've long since learned it's actually better to be here, even though it involves getting up, even though it involves doing what I don't feel like in that moment doing. Jesus is experiencing that same reality. And let's notice a couple of other things about this moment. Notice that he got alone to pray. It says he went to the garden with the disciples. Then he withdrew a stone's throw away. If you'll remember, Jesus taught us that the prayer is meant to be a thing we do primarily alone. Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who sees what is done in secret. Your father will meet you in that moment. Jesus is practicing that. He's getting alone. The center of our prayer life shouldn't be in a congregation or in a family or even between a married couple, although all those things are wonderful and good. The center of our prayer life is when we get alone with God and get honest and pour out our heart to him. And that's what Jesus is doing. He encourages the disciples to do the same because he knows that they face the same kind of temptation that he's facing. Church, know this. Jesus knows what you and me face what we feel, and because he knows it, he says, hey, Greg, be sure that you pray so that you won't give in to those things, so that you won't fall into the dominance, into the tyranny of those things. 
That's a big deal. Church, here's the thing. Something happens in prayer that can't happen any other way. You can gather around yourself a bunch of friends to encourage you. They can't encourage you like prayer can. You can worship till your head falls off. It can't strengthen you like prayer can. Prayer is a supernatural reality. In this moment, Jesus experiences a supernatural. The Bible says an angel attended him and strengthened him. Think of how often you and I say to each other, gosh, I just need strength to go through this. I need strength to get through this. God, I need strength today to deal with this. Strength like that flows through prayer flows through the moments that we stop everything else. We get alone with God, even if it's for a short period of time. And it's a very specific kind of prayer that overcomes in this moment. It's the prayer of surrender. Jesus says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. You know, we're gathered here today. We gather here every week because we want to follow Jesus. We want his will to be done in our lives. So it behooves us to pray the prayer of surrender. Can you, have you said to your Savior, to your Father in heaven, God, you know what, I want things to go well. I want things to go a certain way. I'm aiming for certain things. But God, most important to me is that your will would be done in my life. That prayer is powerful beyond measure. And in fact, it is the prayer that we need in order to overcome us when we are, in order to not be overcome when we are most challenged. Can you pray the prayer of surrender to God? Jesus says, I kind of don't want to do the cross, God. But if that's your will for my life in this time, and he knew it was, he said, then I want that more than what I'm feeling. I want that more than what I think I want because of what I'm feeling. When we do that, we find a way forward. Hear me, church. When we pray like that, that prayer of surrender, we find a way forward that we didn't even know was there. Mountaineer Joe Simpson, in his memoir, Touching the Void, writes about being trapped in a glacier when his support line was cut by the ice. Bad weather, he was separated from the climbing team he was with. His support line was cut by a jagged edge of ice, and he slid deep down into a crevasse in the Himalayas with a broken leg. His injury meant he couldn't climb out. The weather meant nobody knew he was down there. And he had to make an excruciating decision because he couldn't climb himself back out of the crevasse. And so really, he came to understand there was only one way forward, and that was to go deeper down into the crevasse in the hope that there would be an exit down there somewhere. And so he began to lower himself away from the sky away from the direction that he wanted to go, into the darkness in the hope that at the bottom of the crevasse there would be a way out. And he writes a thousand times, I asked myself as I got deeper and darker, am I lowering myself into my grave? Will I be in this crevasse forever? And with every foot he went down, the sunlight and the sky got farther away. But when he got to the bottom, he did indeed find a cave that led him out of the glacier, and he survived. The way forward was to go deeper in. Jesus knows that in this moment, and the same is true for each one of us. When God points one way and our feelings point another way, God says, trust me, I know the way through this. 
Will you pray the prayer of surrender? And Jesus says to you and me, to the disciples in verse 40, he says, pray so that you will not fall into temptation. He knew that they needed to be able to find the strength and courage to surrender to God's difficult will through prayer. And so that's what he's modeling. That's what he's teaching. We all feel the agony of life when God's plan for us begins to look different than what we would prefer. Even Jesus felt that. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. That's kind of what I was feeling on Thanksgiving afternoon when I realized after that wonderful meal that I was going to have to sit down and watch my Seahawks get run over by the 49ers, right? (laughs) Father, if it's possible, can this pass from me? But you know, I'm a fan, right? You go with your team, win or lose. And so I sat down and I watched that awful, miserable evening of football. I said to myself, this is the right thing to do. You know, I, I met a friend, a new friend in Phoenix when I was down there in August. And uh, um, he has a job that causes him to move about every three or four years. He moves all around the country. And so he's telling me, that, hey, he's got this moving thing all figured out. Every time he moves, he just adopts the local football team and that becomes his team. And he buys all their gear and their stuff. I said, you can't do that. You don't change teams every time you move. Do you change your dog? Do you change your wife? Do you change your kids? You don't change your team. You can't do that. You got to pick one team and stick with it. He goes, no, I just changed. That's the easy way out. I digress. But you get the idea, right? When we pray the prayer of surrender, when we let go of our feelings and say, God, I'm not feeling this, but I want your will more than anything else in my marriage, in my family, in my work, in my life. Wanting things to be different is no sin. Insisting that things would be different than God wills is another matter entirely. There's a beautiful picture of this in the story of Moses back in Exodus chapter 3. And You remember Moses, he saw the burning bush. God called him aside and he says, I want to use you to deliver my people from slavery in Egypt. And maybe you thought that what happened was Moses saw that bush and off he went. But no, there was actually an interlude there where Moses says to God repeatedly, hey, I'm not feeling this. I don't think I'm the guy. In chapter 3, verse 11 Hearing that God's going to send him to Pharaoh to deliver the people from Egypt, Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? God, I got a history. I failed before. And if you know the story, then you know the nature of that failure. Moses had made a lot of mistakes. He said, I'm not the guy. I can't do this. God says, no, I've chosen you. I'm going to use you. And Moses hears that. And then he says in chapter 4, verse 1, but what if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if it doesn't go the way that it's supposed to go? And God says, but it will. I'm with you. I'm going to work through you. I'm going to be able to do miracles as you confront Pharaoh. And then Moses in verse 10 says, Lord, I've never been eloquent. I'm not a good speaker. Talking to people in public, being in front of people, I'm not good at that. God says, I'm with you. I'm going to be with you in this. I'm going to send Aaron along. He's going to help you. I'm going to give you words. You're going to be able to do this. Every time Moses poured out his honest feelings, God says, okay, I'm with you. But then there comes this turning point in verse 13 when Moses, after all that, after all God's encouragement, he says, Lord, please send someone else to do it. And then the tone of the story changes. And the Bible says that then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. He said, no, this is my calling for you. This is what I've called you to do. And the lesson in all of this is that God knows my feelings. He understands them. He understands what I'm wrestling with in terms of the temptation to avoid the hard stuff, but he's also a father, and no good p- 
parent will excuse their kids from the hard stuff that makes their life significant or that causes them to grow. And Jesus is able to access that power, that strength, to use the biblical word, when he prays the prayer of surrender. And so will we. There's a great peace and power that comes to us and through us when we pour out our deepest feelings to God and then say, God, not my will, but yours be done. As your, as your fellow human being seeking to follow Jesus, can I ask you this this morning? Are you able to pray that prayer? Are you willing to pray that prayer like Jesus? That's where the strength you're looking for is found. When you say, God, here's what I'm hoping for, but not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, having prayed that prayer, the scripture says he was strengthened. He got up. He went to the disciples, said the same thing to them that he's saying to us this morning. Hey, prayer is what makes the difference. Church, your life and mine will be dramatically strengthened, transformed, changed when we make the choice to get alone, pour out our feelings to God, and then surrender to his will. Can you pray that prayer? Will you pray that prayer? You've often hear me talk about my grandfather who meant so much to me growing up, most significant adult man in my life in a million different ways. And yet, despite my sharing with him on a number of occasions, I never knew him to be a believer, to make the public choice to follow Jesus. And so when he passed away, I was confronted with an overwhelming agony, anxiety. Where is Grandpa Howard? And I, what do you do with that when you love someone? so much. So I took that to my prayer closet and I said, God, you know, I tried, but he never responded, at least not to me personally or publicly. And God said, Greg, will you pray my will over Grandpa Howard's life? Will you trust me with Grandpa Howard? Will you trust me personally with Grandpa Howard? And when I said to him, when I prayed to God, Father, not my will, but yours be on there came great strength, a great release, great peace, a great freedom that I carry to this day because the reality is I can trust Jesus with my Grandpa Howard. He is good and wise and gracious beyond my wildest imagination, and I can utterly trust him. Jesus is inviting us to do the same thing in this moment. And here's the last thing before we kind of wrap this up. If we never pray the prayer of surrender, then we will become mistaken about what God's doing in the crisis moments of our lives. The disciples didn't pray, and look what happened. Verse 47, while Jesus was still speaking to them, saying, fellas, wake up, pray, a crowd came, and the man who was called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? It's amazing. The prayer of surrender will enable us to face with grace the betrayal of friends and loved ones in family. And almost everyone will face that in their life at some point. Jesus was prepared for that. Jesus was prepared for that. So when Judas approached him, he doesn't hit him, he doesn't attack him, he doesn't reject him. He reaches out to him again, Judas, really? Judas, this isn't the way. That ability flows out of the prayer of surrender. The disciples, verses 49 and 50, when Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? One of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. It was not what God wanted. It was not what God intended. It was not what Jesus desired. But the disciples thought so because that ejected prayer 
from their relationship with God. And we're just relying on their emotions. Same kind of thing is happening today in our world with many in the church. Jesus said, hey, no, 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 that's not what it's about. Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed him. But how awful would it be to be the disciples thinking, we're doing God's thing, and then have God himself say, no, you're not. Stop. And then Jesus reaches out and heals his enemy. And now the disciples are completely puzzled because they had not prayed that prayer of surrender. Jesus then said to the chief priests and officers of the temple of guard and those who come with them, my leading rebellion, every day I was with you in the temple courts, you didn't lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. In other words, Jesus faces the darkness and the injustice without fear. He says, this is your hour, meaning it's temporary. And all of that confidence, all of that peace, all that strength, all that faith flowed out of his prayer of surrender. And this moment is given to us that we might understand how to overcome those kinds of moments in our lives. You know, I'll never forget one of the most intense moments of my life and my life as a pastor was standing in the emergency room with my friend, Jason Person, his wife, Robin, is their two-year-old son who had been run over by a truck was being ministered to by the ER staff in an effort to save his life. You want to talk about intense and desperate prayer, we offered him. We offered that prayer. And then, and then Lincoln was not healed, was not delivered. And Lincoln passed away. And there came that moment when the doctor said, time of death. And in that moment, I will never forget what my friend Jason did. Without missing a heartbeat, he stepped forward into that trauma room, raised up his hands, thanked all the doctors and nurses for all their efforts. And then he said, I want you to know that I believe in a God who resurrects the dead, and I want to pray for you today. You know what that is, church? That's power. And that's the power of surrender. That's the power that comes from saying, God, not my will, but yours be done. You're looking for that power as you face the temptations in your life. Know this, it's found in that prayer. See, church, at the end of the day, everything Jesus did was for us. He found joy and meaning and love by becoming a willing sacrifice through that prayer. And this is what your soul and mind thirsts for. You and me face this kind of choice every day. Maybe we go to work at a job we don't love that's wearing us down. But God says, I want you to provide for your family. I want you to give yourself away for your wife or your husband, your kids. And that's my calling to you. Or maybe God is calling us to forgive someone even though we haven't seen justice done. That's the prayer of surrender. Maybe he's calling us to give an opportunity, uh, calling us to an opportunity to give our time or money but we're afraid of what we might lose or have to do without, and so we, we shrink back from that calling. Or maybe your marriage is struggling, and you're afraid of losing all hope of happiness in this life, and God is saying, I want you to stick in there. I want you to work this out. I want you to reconcile. We have to make a choice. The prayer of surrender is where the power is found. Maybe our church falls short of our expectations, and we're tempted to abandon her, even though God says love one another is the greatest commandment. Or maybe the cost of being a friend to a struggling friend becomes obviously way more than we're ever going to get back. And we have to make a choice. Do I just cut bait and run and leave them and get them out of my life? Or do I struggle through with them? You get the idea. I could go on and on. Jesus shows us 
how to overcome the temptation to worship what we feel instead of the will of the Father. And when we make that choice, then we find the strength we're always looking for. Let me ask you again as we get ready to close. Can you pray that prayer? Can you pray that prayer? Can you say, God, not my will, but yours be done. There is power in it that can be found nowhere else. Let me finish with a story. On the 5th of January, 2017, 19-year-old film student Cameron Hollopter suffered a, a grand mal seizure while he was standing on a subway train platform in New York City. It was off hours, there weren't a lot of people around. He suffered this seizure, and as a result, he fell off the platform and landed on the tracks directly in the path of an oncoming commuter train. Hardly any time to react, but also standing on the platform was 50-year-old Wesley Autry, a grandpa, who was holding the hands of his two young granddaughters, and he saw what happened, and he only had a split second to make a choice. He realized he was the only one near enough to do anything. He also realized that he was holding the hands of his two granddaughters in the middle of New York City. Talk about a tough call. But in that moment, he let go of his granddaughters, jumped onto the tracks, grabbed Cameron, rolled over into the drainage ditch between the rails just as the train thundered over both of them, less than two inches above their bodies. Holding Cameron through his seizure so that the train wouldn't strike him. Amazingly, both men survived. And afterwards, when he was asked why he did it, he said, hey, what better way to spend your life than to try to save a life? Why are we here on the planet anyway? And to make the sacrifice when the moment calls for it. When we pray the prayer of surrender, we gain the power to give ourselves away. Let me say that again. When we pray the prayer of surrender, you and me gain the power to give ourselves away. When all is said and done, that's what matters most. Ask Mr. Autry if he's glad he did what he did. I'll tell you he is. Can I invite you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Maybe you're here this morning and you you don't know Jesus as your Savior. You've always resisted getting that personal with God. He says, you must get personal with me. I'm a personal God. When you receive me as your Savior, then that's how you will get to know God. Maybe your feelings are saying, I, I don't want to, I don't want to. He says, no, reach beyond that. You are more than what you feel. This morning, he offers himself to you as your Savior. If you're willing to get personal with him and say, yes, Jesus, be my Savior. That can happen right here, right now. Maybe you're just facing a challenge in your marriage or your work, your home, your family, your church, a friendship. And everything in you wants to run away and avoid the hard part. You know God is calling you to stick it out, to do the hard the power that you need is found in this prayer of surrender. You saying to the Lord for yourself, not my will, but yours be done. You can do that right now. If that's you, go ahead and pray that prayer to him. Watch what happens.
happens inside of you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that that night you prayed that way. That's where you found the strength to go to the cross and we are saved. And that's where you took those inevitable steps to resurrection and eternal joy. God, we thank you for living above your feelings. Help us to know we can too. We pray that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You stand with me this morning, church. Great to be with you today. Next week, the kids program. What a riot. Get here early. It's always jam-packed. Really looking forward to that. Now, may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.